verses 10 and 11, but I will begin reading at verse 9 and read through verse 15. The Lord Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let us pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we are considering this portion of your holy word and we ask, dear Lord, that you would enable us uh, to hold it up with a high and reverent esteem. We call upon your Spirit to give our minds and our hearts illumination as we consider this passage. We pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us what it means that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us what it means for you to give us our daily bread. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would renew our faith in you and that you would cause us to live and to walk in humble obedience to all you have commanded. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me begin this morning by asking you a a series of questions. Questions about prayer. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Or perhaps a better way... uh, To put it would be, on what occasions do you pray? What causes you to go on your knees and to pray to your Heavenly Father? Do you pray primarily when the situation you're in uh, forces you to pray? Without Without a doubt, we're all forced to pray by our circumstances, by our situation. Without a doubt, we are driven to the Lord in prayer because of what is going on in our lives. But do you pray thinking, uh, excuse me, do you think of praying outside of those times? Do you think of coming to the Lord when things are not forcing you in that direction? As we noted last week, when we began looking into the Lord's Prayer, these petitions of the Lord's Prayer are divided in half. The first half deal with the glory of the Lord. They deal with the Lord Himself. They focus in on Him. And the second half of these petitions deal with us and our need. And how we bring them to the Lord. And the structure of the Lord's Prayer should teach us something about prayer itself, shouldn't it? It should teach us that our focus primarily has to be on God. That our lives need to be focused on Him. And so that when we come before Him in prayer, what do we focus on first? What is our priority? It's on Him. It's on the Lord. But that does not mean that we diminish or that we ignore our own needs. The Lord is not uh, harsh to us. He does not cause us or call upon us to deny the needs that we have. He simply asks us to submit unto the Lord and to put our needs beneath God's glory. Our desire as Christians should be to put Christ and His kingdom first. And as Jesus says in verse 33 of this chapter, all of these things, food and clothing and housing, all of the things that we need will be added to us. God is faithful to take care of these things. Well, this morning, 
We move from the prayer's focus on God's glory to our humble dependence on his grace. We're making a movement here, a transition. We're in the middle of it right now. The first verse we consider is a consideration of God's glory and his divine will. And the next petition that we consider is our own deep dependence on him and asking for our daily bread. We move from discussing Yahweh, the completely self-existent, self-contained God who takes care of his own needs. We move from discussing him to thinking about our personal needs and our dependence on him. But even though the focus has changed, even though the focus moves from a heavenly focus to an earthly focus and on our personal needs, the emphasis has not changed. God's glory is still in view, even as we consider our needs. And as we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, we confess our utter dependence on God. We confess that we cannot exist aside from him. We confess that in him we live and move and have our being. And without him, we cannot be sustained. God provides for our needs. And as we confess our dependence on him, God teaches us to be content with his provision for us. So I would ask you to consider this as we work our way through uh, these brief verses. Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done and for our daily bread so that we will be content with all that God has done for us. Jesus teaches us to pray that God's will will be done and for our daily bread so that we will be content with all that God has done for us. Well, I've divided this passage into two sections, God's glorious will, verse 10b, and God glorified in our needs, verse 11. Again, God's God's glorious will, verse 10b, and God uh, glorified in our needs, verse 11. Let's look at verse 10b. The second half of verse 10 says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's look for a moment at God's will. What does this mean? What is God's will? How do you understand the will of the Lord? Well, for centuries, theologians have discussed this and they've divided uh, the will of the Lord into two different parts. They've studied scripture. They've seen that the will of God is talked about in two different ways. And the first part is his secret will. It's the will of God's decree. And his revealed will. This is the second part, his revealed will, or God's will of desire. God's will of decree refers to what God has ordained. Everything that comes to pass is according to God's decree from all eternity. And all that he decrees will ultimately come to pass. God's will of decree cannot be thwarted. It cannot be changed. It is set in stone from the foundations of the world. God's will of decree is taught in a number of passages. You can go through the Old Testament and the New Testament. But perhaps one of the best known passages for this is Ephesians chapter 1. And specifically verse 11, which says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And it cannot be changed. It is set in stone. But there's another type, uh, another part of God's will. It is his revealed will, or as we've called it, his will of desire. This refers to what God has commanded. We sometimes refer to this as uh, his moral commands, his moral will. It's what he desires from his creatures. 
And you find out about God's moral will summarized in the Ten Commandments. You go to the Old Testament. You read the Ten Commandments. You understand what God requires of human beings. All human beings. This is why it's important to study those commands. But you also see it in the New Testament. When Jesus is asked, what is the chief commandment? And Jesus says, the chief commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he adds, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's moral will. This is his will of desire for all people, not just believers. Everyone is expected to keep God's commandments, but no one keeps them perfectly. And quite frankly, most people don't even try. Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who does the will of my Father. This is God's will of desire. This is his moral will. God's will of decree cannot be thwarted, can it? We've said it's set in stone. But God's will of desire can. And it is regularly broken by sinful human beings. It is constantly broken by sinful human beings. So when Jesus teaches us to pray that God's will be done, he is speaking of the second part of God's will. His revealed will. His will of desire. Well, in the second part of this petition... Jesus teaches us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as as it is done in heaven. And as we saw last week, heaven is the place where God holds court. It's his heavenly throne. It's the place where he sits in judgment. It is where God the King reigns. Already, God's will is being done in heaven. It is being done without uh, any hesitation. You think of the angels, you think of those uh, saints who have died and have gone to be with the Lord Jesus in heaven. They are no longer constrained by sin. They are perfectly able to keep God's will. This is the ideal. And this is that to which we are to pray. We're to pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as the eternal Son of God, Jesus had firsthand experience of what went on in heaven. He saw this obedience This instant, willing obedience to all that God commands. And so he's calling upon us, he's calling upon his followers to desire that same thing for earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus knows that as his kingdom comes, as it it advances, as we uh, talked about last week, the will of God will increasingly be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now like the preceding two petitions having to do with God's name being hallowed and having to do with God's kingdom coming, this petition is focused on God. But it is at the same time immensely personal, isn't it? Just as we talk about those first two petitions being evangelistic in nature, so is this one. Because what are we asking? We're asking that men and women and children across the face of the earth would get to the point where they would do God's will. And so we recognize that it is impossible to do God's will without faith in Jesus Christ. And so our desire is the same as God's desire, his his revealed will, where he says that his desire is that none should perish. Our desire is to be the same, even though we know that the number is fixed. As we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking 
in the language of the Westminster Larger Catechism, for God, by his grace, to make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to his will in all things. Well, this one petition, as we prayed this earlier in the worship service, when we got to this petition, did it make you tremble? You're praying that God's will would be done, not only on the face of the earth by all people, but by you. I'm praying that I would do God's will. And what does that look like? This is probably the most difficult petition of the six to pray. Because what does it mean? It means that we we obey God's will sincerely and fully. But for sinful human beings who don't know Christ, doing God's will, keeping his commandments, is impossible. And it's only possible for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's only possible for those who have been brought to a point in their lives where they are aware of their sin. And they have repented and have embraced Jesus Christ in faith. But even those for whom uh, we believe in Christ, even those who believe in Jesus Christ, keeping God's will, doing his will, is very, very difficult. It's extremely challenging. It's painful at times. How many of us, when we have sinned in a particular way, when we have done something which we know we ought not to do, we say to ourselves, I will never do that again. And then we turn and do the very same thing again. We can't even keep our own vows How can we keep God's will, God's command? When we pray this prayer, we are asking God to cause all people to submit to his will, including ourselves. And so when we pray this, we are praying, we're inviting ourselves to struggle, to struggle with sin, to fight, to engage in the battle. But we're also inviting struggles upon us. We've got to recognize that this enters us into the fray, into the the, the daily battle with sin. And it is no coincidence that Jesus uses this this exact phrase, your will be done, again in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 26, verse 42, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember this. He's in the garden. He's got James and John and Peter with him. They're falling asleep off to the side. Jesus comes before his father. He asks that this cup pass from him. But what does he say? Your will be done. Your will be done. What does it mean for Jesus to pray that prayer? What was Jesus asking when that cup be passed from him? Jesus recognized what was before him. Jesus knew He knew the cross awaited. And he asked in a very human way that the cup would pass. He dreaded the death on the cross. He dreaded the pain, the persecution, the scorn, the lashes from the whip, the the crown of thorns, but especially the nails in his hands and the spear in his sides. He dreaded this as any human being would dread it. But what did he pray? He prayed as the eternal Son of God, but your will be done. And Jesus, by praying this prayer, and by fulfilling it, by living up to it, by being enabled by God's Spirit to carry it out, He enables us to pray this prayer 
but also to live according to God's commands, to live up to God's will. Praying for God's will to be done means that there are times that we will suffer. There are times that you and I will experience persecution. We will experience scorn. Thankfully, in this country, to this point, there is very little physical abuse or torture for it. But there are believers in other nations who this very day are experiencing physical anguish because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Being obedient to God's commands immediately puts us in opposition to the rest of the world. And they will oppose us. But our desire is to do God's will. Praying this way shows that we trust our Heavenly Father. It shows that we trust Him. We trust His plan. We trust His commands. Praying this prayer shows that we are content with what God has done and what He has purposed in our lives. And praying for God's will to be done and being obedient to all that He has commanded, it demonstrates to God how much you love Him. It demonstrates to God how thankful you are that he has adopted you as his child. This is what it means to pray, your will be done. Let's look now at verse 11. God glorified in our needs. The fourth, fourth petition found in verse 11 is give us this day our daily bread. And it marks a shift from a focus on God to a focus on our own needs. Jesus understands that our physical needs are important. And so he provides a pattern by which to pray for them. Because of the focus on God in the first three petitions, some of the early church fathers couldn't understand this transition. And so they sought to spiritualize what Jesus was saying. They sought to allegorize what it means to pray for our daily bread. Augustine took bread to mean the invisible bread of the word of God. Where they thought that it referred to the Lord's Supper. They spiritualized it. But Jesus understands. He understands our spiritual needs. Or excuse me, our physical needs. He understands that we have a need for food. That we have a need for shelter, for clothing. Jesus experienced hunger and thirst firsthand. He knew what it meant to be out without shelter. And throughout the Bible, we see that God is very concerned that his people have their physical needs taken care of. You remember last fall when we went through the book of Ruth. We discovered as we studied this book, we saw how God commanded his people to leave a portion of the grain in the fields as they were harvesting. He told them, do not harvest all of the field. Leave the edges. Leave the sheaves that fall on the ground. Leave them behind so that the poor of the land could come and have their daily bread. To have their daily needs met. God created our bodies. He designed us to hunger for food. He designed us to be dependent on food. But this petition is not simply limited to food. It's limited to those basic necessities. Martin Luther understood bread in this passage to mean everything necessary for the preservation of life. Like food, a healthy body, good weather, a house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. It's all those basic necessities that we need, that we depend on for life. But John Stott says that by bread, Jesus meant the necessities rather than the luxuries of life. 
So we pray for what we need. Doesn't mean that God doesn't on occasion give us luxuries, that he doesn't, he doesn't uh, bestow great gifts on us. But we don't pray for those. We pray for our needs. Well, what does this prayer for our daily bread teach us? It teaches us moderation in our desires and our requests. It teaches us to have humble expectations. Our culture tries to get us to confuse our wants with our needs, doesn't it? It tries to tell us that our needs are a nice car, a fast car. It tries to tell us that we need a a gigantic television set. These are not needs. These are wants. They're desires. Our needs are pretty basic. Give us our daily bread. This reminds us of that fact. Is it any wonder that Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread? And then a few verses later, he teaches us about fasting. There's a connection here. If fasting was a necessary part of a culture, which was just a few days away from famine, they were so dependent on the land, they did not have stockpiles like we have stockpiles today. They could not go through a strong period or a strong time of drought without feeling the consequences severely. If it was important for people in that day to fast, how much more important it is for us to fast? We who live in superabundance. We can't fathom, most of us cannot fathom a time where, where our, our pantries are not full, where our, where our refrigerator is not fully stocked. And when there is a drought in the land, when there is a shortage of food, the most we experience, most of us, is an increase in prices at the grocery store. This Prayer reminds us that our true needs are fairly limited and that our Heavenly Father takes care of them all. And when we fast, we recognize what our true needs are. And we also recognize our utter dependence on the Lord. Praying this prayer also teaches us to trust in God. It teaches us to trust in Him, that He will deliver, that He will care for us. Now, we read the first several verses of Psalm 37 in our worship service earlier this morning. We read about trusting the Lord. We read about waiting patiently for Him. We learned about being content with what the Lord gives us. And in verse 25 of Psalm 37, it says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. This is King David saying this. I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. This is the basic promise of Scripture that God will take care of his children's needs. And so praying this prayer with sincerity means that we trust God to provide for our daily needs. We trust him that he'll give us our daily bread. It means that we do not have to worry about food for tomorrow. God will take care of that. Jesus says in verse 26 of this same chapter, chapter 6, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God takes care of our needs. But we need to maintain something here. This does not prohibit making provision for our future. It does not prohibit us from storing up. There's nothing wrong with having a pantry full of food or that refrigerator fully stocked. Proverbs 31 extols the woman who carefully plans out uh, all uh, of the provision that her family needs. 
But what this verse does prohibit, what it does mean when you pray for your daily bread, it does prohibit is anxiety about the future. It prohibits you from being worried. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about later on in Matthew 26. Excuse me, Matthew verse 6. It is wise to have a storeroom stocked with food. But if your hope and your trust is in that stockpile instead of in God, you are sinning. And it is wrong. You have misplaced your trust. You're not relying on the Lord. We should not worry about our next meal because God will provide for us. But as William Hendrickson says in his commentary on this, uh, uh, on this gospel, willingness to work is also presupposed. Else how would one dare to pay, excuse me, how would one dare to pray for daily sustenance? And here he refers to 2 Thessalonians verse, chapter 3, verse 10, which says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Even though we work, and we should all work if we're physically able to do it, head of households should desire to provide for their families. Even though we work, all provision comes from our Heavenly Father. If you have a job, praise God for it because He has given you that job. If you have food on the table, praise God because even though you work to earn the money to buy the food, God gave it to you. And related to this petition teaching us to trust God is that it also teaches us to be content with what God has provided, with what what comes from Him. A lack of contentedness is one of the worst characteristics of our society today. Few people are truly content. And it results in an improper desire to have what does not rightfully belong to us. If you are not content, you want what you do not have. We're taught by TV ads that we're to be jealous of other people. We're to be jealous of what they have. We need to strive for what they have. There's no telling how much being jealous of others has boosted our economy. But the downside of this is that when times get tough economically, what happens? People revert back to simply buying the things that they need and not the things that they desire. Nice things are not evil in in and of themselves, but a love for them creates all kinds of problems. Well, finally, this this, this petition teaches us one other thing. It teaches us not only to pray for our needs, for my needs, but it teaches us to pray for the needs of others. Jesus says to pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread. There is no me or my in this petition. We are to pray for each other. The needs of believers all over the world are included. For together they constitute one family. God's provision for our needs should drive us back to him in thankfulness. But this petition should drive us to pray for each other. When we're aware of brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling to make ends meet, struggling to get by, pray for them. Sincerely. Pray not only that your daily needs would be met, but the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be driven back to God in thankfulness, but it should also remind us that He places, that God places a priority not on our physical needs, but on our spiritual needs. We do have spiritual needs. And if we were as concerned about our spiritual needs as we are concerned about our physical needs, we would grow, we would develop, we would mature. Imagine the church of Jesus Christ, if we had a tenth of concern 
for our, our spiritual needs as we have for our, our physical needs. Jesus Christ was put to death on the cross. He was resurrected from the dead so that we could be adopted into his family as brothers and sisters. And as God's children, he does feed us physically. He makes that promise throughout scripture, but he also feeds us spiritually. By Jesus' death and resurrection, we are freed from our enslavement to chasing after physical needs. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We're freed up. We're freed up to consider our spiritual needs. We're made aware of the deep hunger of our souls. And just as God provides for us physical food, He provides for us spiritual food. He has given us the Word of God to read and to hear preached. He has given us prayer by which we come before the Lord. We pray for God's desires before our own. And finally, He's given us the sacraments. He's given us baptism. He's given us the Lord's Supper to help us feed on Him in faith. In just a few moments, we will partake of the Lord's Supper. We'll partake of one of these means of grace. And the Lord has set it aside as a very special provision for us. Your soul hungers as much as your body does. You need God's Word. You need prayer. You need the sacraments. Do not neglect them. You need to gather together with God's people. These are desperate and deep needs that we all have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not neglect them. Rely upon them. Be satisfied with them. Be content with what you have. Pray that we all would hunger and thirst for righteousness more than we hunger and thirst for food. And you will be fed and you will be given drink. Let us come before the Lord now in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you supply us with our physical needs. Thank you, O Lord, for our daily bread. But thank you as well, Lord, that you, that you supply our, our spiritual needs as well. And this morning we pray that you would call us and cause us, O Lord, to think of, upon your spiritual food. We pray, dear Lord, that as we uh, prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, that you would work in our hearts, make us ready, give us thankful hearts and contented hearts. Give us joy, we pray. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.